0: My mission is simple, to make you money. I'm here to level the playing field for all investors. There's always a bull market somewhere, and I promise to help you find it. Mad Money starts now. Hey, I'm Kramer. Welcome to Mad Money. Welcome to Kramerica. i will be one of my friends just trying to make you some money. My job is not just to entertain you, but to educate, teach. Call me 1-800-743-CBC or tweet me at Jim Kramer. All right, this margin call situation, and everybody freaked out today. So you know what they did? They circled back to the stay-at-home stocks in bear market territory. That, plus a stern warning from the head of the CDC about the pandemic. Explain today's action. Dow gaining 98 points. S&P declining 0.09%. And the NASDAQ lost 0.60%. Look, I know that sounds like a silly, if not even just kind of um glib analysis of the fall from this giant hedge fund uh, and an emotional plea from the head of the CDC to keep your guard up or else. But it is precisely what caused the action today. A mysterious family office. And a family office means you got a real rich person who works out of an office, okay? Uh, let's not mystify this thing. Uh, Archegos, that's mystifying enough already. Uh, run by a gentleman by the name of Bill Wang, borrowed a, a bunch of money, billions, and then blew up. Somehow, this guy was able to hoodwink nearly every firm on Wall Street, borrowing huge sums of money in order to take down some very concentrated positions, mostly in Chinese stocks like Baidu and Tencent Music, along with some American media companies like Viacom and Discovery that have been rocket ships for months. When Viacom did a big secondary offering last week, I think this caused a lot of it. its stock to pulverize, cut in half. This fund didn't have the extra cash to meet its margin obligations, obviously borrowing a lot of money. So the brokers repossessed everything and dumped it on the open market. And I just wish, I wish I had the option to write the screenplay. Because it's like, no one could believe it could be this. Well, no one's going to believe it's true. The liquidation dinged a bunch of banks, especially Credit Suisse and Nomura, with the former actually saying it endured highly significant losses. Goldman Sachs told us its losses were immaterial. But there's enough guesswork about the rest of Wall Street that the great reopening trade took a real breather today. You know, that had been centered on the banks. And by the way, what is it with the foreign banks that they still have such horrendous risk controls? I mean, honestly. Now, I heard a lot of fretting about what the Archegos debacle might mean for the stock market. I don't think it's going to mean anything. Except that this one fund got away with some outrageous actions, and maybe some of the investment banks need to figure out better ways to judge their exposure uh, to potentially rogue accounts. And this firm did have a checkered history that seemed to go unflagged by many firms who should have known better. But you know what? Those commission dollars, oh, they're so great! Until they crush you. See, it wouldn't shock me if some heads roll. They have to, because of this debacle. Because there's some people who got so greedy that they have to be punished. At the same time that Archegos was ruining the earnings of a bunch of investment banks, we got a frightening whiff of fear about resurgent COVID infections, suggesting that maybe the reopening trade could be a little premature, even as we're now vaccinating 3 million people a day. I think the fear of new strains makes perfect sense, and and many states have have jumped the gun, reopening nearly everything before enough people are vaccinated. Apparently, the head of the CDC, Rochelle Walensky, feels that same way, but in a more poignant fashion. She says there could be a fourth wave of COVID and warned of, I quote, impending doom. Now, that turn of phrase crushed the restaurant stocks, the live entertainment place that had been flying for months now, the travel place, the entertainment place, the oil place, and the big cyclical got hurt, too. Investors didn't just dump everything, though. That's not how this market works. This market's always robbing Peter to pay Paul. Today, Peter's the great reopening place, and Paul's the stay-at-home stocks that have done, well, let's say they've spent months in the doghouse, right? No one wants to stay at home until today. It is really a strange situation, given that Goldman Sachs is talking about 10 percent GDP growth next quarter. And there's a widespread belief that we're about to have a repeat of the roaring 20s when the economy snapped back as the world recovered from the Spanish flu pandemic. Today's move is what we really this is what's called a counter trend move. A market led by Clorox, Procter & Gamble, Kimberly, Clark and Amgen is a market that only makes sense if we're about to head back into a lockdown in a recession like they're doing in Germany. Seems unlikely to me. Those stocks have seen better days, and I don't think they'll make a ton of sense here, although they've fallen so far behind the rest of the market that maybe they deserve to play catch-up. I respect that Johnson Johnson has a terrific pipeline, but its recent run seems very exaggerated. Those rotations have a lot of power. General Mills got gaffed last week on a not-so-hot quarter, but the specter of impending doom can get any cereal stock going, and now it's higher than when it reported. That is extraordinary. Last week, the legendary Larry Williams suggested buying Walmart and Costco right before the Easter holiday because they tend to do very well this time of the year. Voila! Both stocks took off. <laughs> Remember, these are essential retailers, and the rallies came at the expense of the non essential stores like the Kohl's and Nordstrom. Again, we're robbing Peter to pay Paul. I think Walmart and Costco have been punished enough for being lockdown stocks. They should have terrific numbers this year. They are not done. They deserve to be in your portfolio. Come on! Costco? you going sell Costco now? Walmart? It's big. The honest part of this rotation, though, is the remarkable resurgence of Fang, Facebook, Amazon, Netflix, and Google. Some of this could be pent-up demand. Facebook caught a couple of uh, positive research reports today. Last week, CEO Mark Zuckerberg faced Congress in what I can only call a confused hearing about how to regulate social media. Once the smoke cleared, you had to expect some analysts to come out of the woodwork and bull Facebook stock higher because this Congress likely won't do anything Uh, uh, that's going to hurt Facebook's earnings. Now, here's an astonishing thing. This company's growth is accelerating and sells at just 21.6 times next year's earnings estimates, cheaper than any consumer product stock I follow. Amazon is part of a not-so-quick-to-reopen trade because it's the retailer choice for everyone who's stuck at home. Remember those days when you were stuck at home? Alphabet, the parent of Google, is kind of two-faced. It's a great reopening play because it makes a lot of money selling travel advertisements. but when the stay-at-home stocks rally, it tends to get dragged along with them. A lot of that's the ETFs. Still, I'm betting that this counter-trend rally will not have legs. When you look at the stocks that got hit today, I don't think they're going to stay down. The cyclical sold off from those emotionally charged, highly personal and downright scary comments from the CDC chief. That would, those shook me to the core. If she hadn't dropped that line about impending doom, we might have spent more time considering the possibility that the whole country could be vaccinated by May, or at least the part of the country that's willing to get shot. So much for success. Tomorrow, my my guess is we'll forget about Archigos and begin to distance ourselves from these impending doom comments. Oh, there's still probably some fall fallout. But you know what I mean. Archigos, we're going to say, like, oh, yeah, that, what was that Archegos? Um The great reopening trade should come right back. So I take a hard look at Disney and Boeing. The accelerated vaccination timetable means Disney's move, movie and theme park businesses can go back to normal sooner than we expected. Meanwhile, Boeing just won a big order from Southwest Air that was supposed to go, frankly, to Airbus. The 787 Dreamliner was just approved for sale by the FAA after multi-month suspension. These are huge positives, and I think the stock would have rallied more, a lot more than 2% if we hadn't spent the whole day worrying about impending doom. By the way, I still like, I like the banks. Now they're coming down. We just, we just have to hear from every one of them before we can get involved. But the most important lesson today is that this market is fickle. So don't dump the countertrend stocks when they're going down. If you're patient, there's almost always a better time. Today was that better time. Bottom line, sooner or later, the rotation will change directions, meaning money will flow back to the great reopening stocks, the banks and the cyclicals. So you want to use days like today and perhaps tomorrow to buy them into weakness while you trim your positions into the lockdown stocks. Because I got a newsflash. We are not Germany. We are ahead of almost every other nation in the world. And that's something to be proud of, even if we don't want to be the last people to die in the great 2020-2021 COVID-19 pandemic. Josh in Florida, Josh. Mr. Kramer with Mark
1: Trenton at the helm, the hires today to increase the e-commerce business owned brands do you and the earnings in 2 weeks, do you believe now after this recent pullback is a good time to buy Bed Bath and Beyond?
0: Okay, now uh, I'm going to say yes to that, but you have to understand there's two there's two components here. Right now we're throwing out the non-essential retailers and and uh, Bed Bath is non essential most certainly. Um, so this is going to have another couple days down, perhaps. But then the second thing is, remember, this went up because of a short squeeze. And a lot of that squeeze has been ameliorated. And the Wall Street bets people have to get along this thing and get behind it, because I think that's kind of, you know, and that's all right. How many people come on our air and say, listen, I own this and you ought to buy it. The WSB, if they adopt Bed Bath & Beyond between now and their report, could be a home run. Let's go to Nathaniel in New York. Nathaniel. Booyah, Jimmy chill. The chill in the house. What's going on, Nathaniel? Hey, Jim. Uh, I just want to say, first and foremost, huge fan of you uh, and the show here. Multiple the- millennial investors. So I want you to know that there is a big group of us that have your back and not to worry about those guys on Twitter. No, I'm getting to love them. I am telling you, I appreciate <laughs> that. But I'm going to be in uh, places tomorrow night because I'm having such a good time on Twitter. You know, because I'm learning <laughs> from everybody. I'm learning from WSB. I'm learning from Reddit. I'm learning from GameStop. I'm learning from you, Nathaniel. Help me. I love it, Jim. Hey, if I I could, want to give a quick shout out to my two older brothers, Jake and Anthony, huge fans of the show. Absolutely. Good shout out. Awesome. Jim, my question for you today is on Uber. Given the increase in vaccinations, their recent upgrade from Morgan Stanley, as well as their aggressive acquisition strategy, how do you view Uber not only as a potential reopening play, but as a long-term strategy as well? Well, I have been worried that unless they, we had some sort of robo taxis that they couldn't make a lot of money, but they then consolidated in the, uh, in the food, food delivery system. Um, but I need to see this. I need to see how they do once we reopen, because I, as a restaurateur, am very afraid that that whole takeout stuff and delivery stuff. Now nah, we want to go and have like a, you know, uh, let's just say some um, spiked lemonade. How about that? I tried that. They didn't the authorities or not. Whatever. Sooner or later, the reopening trades are going to be loved again. It's probably going to be sooner. So you want to use this weakness to buy them and sell the stocks that went higher today, with the exception of FANG, which, you know, I like very much. On oh, man money tonight, the 5G revolution was supposed to send in soaring. But now the stock's down over 30% this month alone. What gives? Red flag or buying opportunity? Where's my red flag? Well, it's somewhere here, you have to trust me. And then, I'm gonna talk with the CEO of the CEO, but then, uh, why can't this market seem to get out of its own way? Who stole my <laughs> Well, I'm gonna focus on the stock club, what it means for your portfolio's potential. You don't think of it as a stock club, but it is. And he's one of the highest profile names in the old blank check deal making. I won't even leave one for my cleaner, but these are got billions of dollars. They leave it, and this guy's actually worth it. Don't miss my sit down with the legendary Bill Foley. I may, I may make a suggestion? I would stay with Kramer.
2: Don't miss a second of Mad Money. Follow at Jim Kramer on Twitter. Have a question? Tweet Kramer, hashtag madtweets. Send Jim an email to MadMoney at CNBC.com, or give us a call
0: Okay, let's deal with this. The last two months have been absolutely brutal for turbocharged growth, especially the smaller, more speculative ones. Take Insego, the telco infrastructure play with a ton of 5G exposure that gave us some monster gains last year. Lately, though, this thing's been crushed, plunging from $21 at its high in January to nine and change right now. Some of that's the rotation out of growth stocks. But there's some serious company-specific pain, too. When Insega reported earlier this month, the results came in weaker than expected. And worse, management gave you a muted full-year outlook. The next day, three of the four analysts who had buy ratings in the stock downgraded it. stock lost 30% of its value. So is this a broken company or is it merely a broken stock that might be giving you a decent buying opportunity now that it has literally been cut in half? Let's check in with Dan Mondor. He's the chairman and CEO of Ensego. to get a better sense of where his company's headed. Mr. Mondor, welcome back to Mad Money. Thanks for having me. Okay, so Dan, we got to go right to it. Uh, I usually don't ask uh, CEOs to opine on the stock. I want them to opine on their company. But I do have to wonder that maybe there's an overly negative reaction. You did have uh, you know, a, different, a difficult transition and write down a 4G product, but the future's 5G. You've got the best 5G. You got the best company in T-Mobile. So I'm trying to figure out whether the past is prologue or not.
3: Well, obviously, I'm not a market pundit, but I will tell you this, we are focused on the long-term trend, the secular trend. And for us, it's all about 5G. Um, we continue to see strong demand for our 4G products. So you can think of it like layers on the cake. Um, for, and 5G for both the consumer as well as enterprise. We're launching a number of new enterprise products uh, this in the first half under WaveMaker Pro brand. And then our cloud subscription business grew triple digits last year. So I think there's some things going on in the company that we're not getting credit for. Um, clearly, tech has been a tough market recently, but we remain focused on the secular trends and we're centering the company on those. But you did say that certain,
0: that near term, it was hard to predict was a term you used. And then you said that some of your customers are in a wait and see mode. And when I read that, I said, Uh Uh-oh, wait and see may mean that there's going to be a gap in your sales and earnings.
3: Well, we've got, you know, there's a few dynamics going on at one time. Um, You know, there's the post-pandemic trend line. Nobody can fully predict. But I will say this. The surge in demand we saw in our 4G products last year has abated, as you might expect. Mm -hmm. But as we predicted, we're seeing demand for our 4G products higher than pre-pandemic. Um, We quadrupled our 5G revenue last year. Um, That trend continues up to the right. Uh, We tripled our cloud subscription business uh, last year. So I think there's a lot of dynamics in play. There's, as we refer to as crossing vectors, but uh, long-term trends are up and to the right. So our investment strategy has not changed one bit.
0: Is there any relief on this component shortage you alluded to in the conference call?
3: Well, it is a macrodynamic. Uh, the, the the long lead time, the high tech components, etc., is is a fact of life. So it's not a, it's not whether that condition exists. It's what you're doing to manage it. We have a great ops supply chain team. Uh, We're working directly with the suppliers such as Qualcomm, okay. SkyWorks, others, directly with them, not waiting on our contract manufacturer, buying the long team, long-term, uh, uh, long term, long long lead time, I should say, components ahead of time to secure supply. So it's a it's a balancing act. It's a situation you have to manage. Um, but I think we're doing a pretty good job. All right. So let's talk
0: about the, uh, the biggest win in the company history, the T-Mobile 5G hotspot. I have to believe that if you're going to be in this industry, that, that had to be a deal that was closely contested and you got it. What are the advantages you have that that T-Mobile, the, I think the most aggressive and best in the business, chose you?
3: Well, I think uh, if you look, firstly and foremost, T-Mobile is obviously very aggressive in the 5G market. Recent analyst uh, calls after the the C-band Spectrum auction, they talked about their ambitions in the enterprise space as a a growth component they're focused on. Our products are for enterprise, speed, reliability, security. So it was a great product market fit and, and for them a long-standing relationship on our uh, subscription business, which is used to manage subscriptions as well as manage devices. So it was a great long-term relationship. They liked what we had, and now we're talking to them very extensively about our fixed wireless access products. So a great customer, and in fact, we're seeing higher growth trends out of T-Mobile in the first quarter of this year than our long-term customer, Verizon. So we're very bullish on the T-Mobile right. do,
0: do we have to worry? I mean, that's great that it's all enterprise, but a lot of people feel that you're a work-from-home play. You're in that bucket. Do you think that's a fair and apt description of Insiga?
3: You know, it's all about connectivity. Uh, work-from-home is a dynamic. We don't see that abating. So that is certainly a benefit for us for both 4G and 5G products. That's not what we've centered the company on, um, We do see that trend continuing, but we make great products for consumers, broadband access to the home, as well as enterprise. And I will say this about enterprise, we see it as a larger 5G market than we see the consumer market. And that's why we're very focused there and launching a number of products in the first half of this year, which will make for an exciting second half, we think.
0: Well, let's leave it there. And I understand people at nine bucks, I don't think you're getting much uh, much credit for an unbelievable deal they have with T-Mobile. Uh, Dan Mondor, thank you so much for coming on the show. Dan is chairman and CEO of Ensego. Always good to see you, sir. Thank you. Thank you, Jim. Just because the stock goes down doesn't necessarily mean it's bad. This was a difficult transition, and you heard everything. Mad Money's back in the break.
2: Coming up, an oversupplied IPO market might make you want to swing for the fences, but could it be better to keep the bat on your shoulder? Kramer explains next.
0: Why can't this market seem to get out of its own way? Everybody wants to talk about inflation fears or the COVID resurgence, particularly in Europe, or imploding hedge funds. But the most important story right now is the stock glut. We've got an oversupply situation, and when there's too much supply, well, guess what happened? Prices go down. No, no. Look, people, it's Basic Economics 101. Sell, 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 sell. Too much supply, not enough demand. I keep warning you about the stock glut, because this stuff never gets the attention it deserves. We always focus on the fundamentals. They matter plenty, but the stock glut is more insidious, harder to track. Sure, but it would be better to focus on big picture economic developments. Yeah, the Fed, it does matter. People ask me about interest rates, they matter. But sometimes the action's all about the boring mechanics behind the scenes of the stock market. See, thanks to all these SPAC deals and IPOs and secondary offerings, we've been inundated with new shares. And there's just not enough money coming in to sop them all up. I need you to take this problem seriously. So tonight I'm walking you through the details of the Stock Club because it's coming at us from every angle, and it is just relentless. Why don't we start with the initial public offerings? Last week, the IPO experts at Renaissance Capital, thank you so much, people, published their first quarter review, and this document was chilling. Listen to this. Quote, explosive IPO market delivers the busiest quarter since 2000, end quote. When the dot com bubble burst back then, it was the stock luck that pushed us over the edge. So you never want to see this kind of comparison. It's been 20 years, but I managed to flag that then. I'm flagging this one now. The first quarter isn't even over yet, and we've already had more than 100 deals. That's just regular deals. It doesn't include the nearly 300 SPAC offerings. We'll get to those in a minute. In terms of the amount of money raised, this was the biggest first quarter for the IPO market in history, with tons of tech and healthcare deals. And there are a lot more on the way next quarter. You can tell there's too much supply because many of these deals have started to fizzle. According to Renaissance, the average IPO returned just 8% this quarter. Now, just look at it last week when we had 17 traditional deals, which ties the record, by the way, for the biggest week in history. And you don't want that record. More than half of these broke down below their issue price on day one. And that is shameful, Wall Street syndicates. You had DigitalOcean, a cloud infrastructure platform for small and medium-sized businesses. Now, this is the kind of deal that Wall Street couldn't get enough of last year. Last week, though, DigitalOcean priced at forty-seven. Then opened at 41.50. That's an instant money loser. It's now at 40 after another bad day. Crimean Ocean. You had diversity, diversity Holdings, which is a cleaning and hygiene company with both products and services. Might have been a great last spring at the height of the pandemic name, but there's no appetite for that now. Diversity priced at 15 3 bucks below the bottom end of its proposed range. Then opened even lower at $13.50. It's rebounded just under $15 now, though that doesn't really inspire a lot of confidence as far as I'm concerned. Then there's Zoo. Zihu, it's a Chinese internet play that opened down 15%. Now, how about Alignment Healthcare? Senior health play with a technology kicker. This thing came public at 18, opened at 1905. Hey, it went up. But by the end of the day, it was down 17 and change. Today, the stock made it back to 19, which is the high end of the original range, not exactly cooking with gas. Meanwhile, we're still getting tons of low-quality Chinese IPOs. Now, I've been warning you away from these for years. No one listens. These typically perform worse than their American peers. So no one listens. It's like the Golem. I'm not listening. I'm not listening. I'm buying Chinese IPOs. The pattern hasn't changed, especially now that the Chinese market's rolling over. Their stocks are—hey, got to tell you, the stocks of China, it's the lowest quality export that we get. Making matters worse. The spigot is still open. We've got eight more deals expected this week, two per day. That's not enough. Next month's Coinbase, the cryptocurrency exchange platform, is doing a massive direct listing. No lockup on insider selling. That means something like $90 billion worth of stock could be about to hit the market. I don't care how much you like Coinbase. The market doesn't have a place for that. Of course, not everyone will sell. But if 30% ring in the register, that would put this at the same level as the largest IPO in history. Regardless of how you feel about Coinbase, that's a lot of stock. Doesn't help that Robinhood's IPO is coming up, too? Whoa, that's irony, right? We don't know when that'll be. If it comes anytime soon, I think it's a tough swell, given that so many of Robinhood's younger clients are now fleeing the market like mad. And remember, I notice I didn't say rats from a sinking ship. I did not use that analogy. I want to repeat it. I didn't use it. The traditional IPOs are only one part of the stock glut. The second piece of the puzzle, the backlash. These special purpose acquisition companies just keep coming, even though the whole SPAC ecosystem is falling apart. So far this year, we've had nearly 300 SPAC IPOs where a manager convinces investors to give a big pile of money that they'll spend buying other businesses. That's more SPAC offerings than we had in all of 2020. New SPACs sell stock at 10 bucks, and typically the shares pretty much sit there until management finds something to acquire. Last week, though, we saw a number of new SPACs dropping below 10 bucks, called breaking the buck. That's nuts. Until they do a deal, these things are piles of cash. Cash easy to value. So dropping below $10 is an ominous sign. Last year, whenever a SPAC announced it was doing a deal, the stock would soar, which is why so many institutional money managers convinced themselves that SPACs were basically free money. That's why the celebrities rushed in. Now, though, uh, we've mostly stopped seeing these pops, and believe me, the celebrities are going to run out just as fast as they ran in. In many cases, the SPACs are actually going down on the news. Last week, Tom of Bravo Advantage, that's a private equity-backed SPAC, told us it's buying Inter- Iron Source, a mobile marketing company. Over the next few days, Tama Bravo Advantage lost 5.5% of its value. And by the way, Toma Bravo is an excellent firm. Last Tuesday, Jaws Spitfire Acquisition announced a deal to buy a 3D printing company. Hot as, hot as a pistol, but the stock dropped 5% on the news. Too many special purpose acquisition vehicles, not enough money to recklessly bid up their stocks. Every dollar that's sitting in some newly minted SPAC is a dollar that can't be used to buy something else, including any of the other SPACs. So there's an IPO problem and a SPAC problem. But we've also got a secondary problem, as publicly traded companies sell more stock to raise money. It's real, those are really primaries, but we call them secondaries because once the deal's been, uh, the IPO came, anything after is regarded as secondary. Now you got a bunch of IPOs from the class of 2020 that are going back to the wealth of more capital. Lemonade did a $900 million secondary. ASIC did a $920 million offering. You've also got highly successful SPAC names that want more cash. QuantumScape, the electric vehicle battery developer, sold 10.4 million shares last Thursday at 40, which is why the stock plunged from 62 to 42 right now. There's MP Materials. high-profile. that. Six million shares. Secondary Skills, that's with a Z, sold 32 million shares at 24, a big chunk from its selling shareholders. These are actually some of the best of the SPAC stories, but their stocks have cratered under the weight of these new shares. Then there are the more established companies like Viacom, CBS, which sold nearly three billion worth of common and convertible preferred, and that caused uh, a lot of people think that was the proximate cause of what we saw with that crazy hedge fund. The family office. One last source of excess supply, insider selling from last year's IPOs as their lockups continue to expire. This will only get worse because in six months, the usual time when lockups expire, you can expect a wave of selling from all these companies that are coming public right now. With all this new supply, it's no wonder the fast-growing tech stocks can't find a bottom. We need to digest all this excess, eh, all the excess shares. That takes time. You can also understand why we crave the food and drug stocks today, because they aren't issuing new shares. They're buying back old ones. The bottom line, between the IPOs and the SPAC attack and the big secondaries, we're being flooded with stock right now. So the market's going to struggle until Wall Street turns off the spigot. Unfortunately, there's no sign of that happening yet. So you have to keep being careful until Wall Street realizes that the golden goose is about to get the guillotine if they aren't careful. Dan in Maine. Dan. Booyah, Jimmy Chill. Booyah, Dan, what's happening? Hey, about a month ago, Todd Hines came on talking about XL Fleet and UBS Arena, their partnership,
3: Uh, literally right after Carson Block, famous short seller, came on, released a report
0: saying uh, the logos weren't actually what they had, the renewal rates were pretty bad, and John Ledecky uh, is the only reason that that agreement even happened in the first place. I tend to like the business model. Back
3: in December, it was a steal at 15 Is it still a steal today at $9 and change? Well, we're now in the moment fact-
0: where no one wants to touch any of these, even if Ledecky has the Midas touch. People don't want to own it. It has come down a great deal. Uh, uh, but I, I am being very cl- careful and very clear. People do not want these stocks right now and it doesn't seem like it's going to change anytime soon. We are being flooded with stocks. So, the market has to struggle. It's gonna struggle a bit until it puts away all the stock and the spigot closes from Wall Street. The syndicate managers have to push back to the SPACs and to the companies. Push back, syndicate, I've got your back! Watch for me at Bunnyhead. What does one of the biggest dealer makers in the SPAC space make of the recent backlash? Don't miss my sit down with someone who actually is doing good for you in the SPAC world, Bill Foley. Then, with the action in Viacom, Discovery, Tencent, and Bido, a bunch of whole others, you probably feel the market's rigged. I'm going to tell you why that's the wrong conclusion, even though it's the one that is most readily available. And all your calls rapid fire tonight's edition of the Lightning Round. So stay with Kramer. In the last couple of months, the whole SPAC complex has rolled over. Now everyone's given up on this group en masse, even though I think this might be a time to get into some of them. Tonight, I want to kick the tires on a pair of SPACs back by Legendary Bill Foley. He's a veteran financial executive. Currently he's the executive chairman of Fidelity National Financial, which provides title insurance and transaction services. To the mortgage industry, a huge money maker. By the way, he's also executive chairman of the Black Knight. That's a financial technology company. Speaking of knights, he's the owner of the Las Vegas Golden Knights, by the way, have a really good record. But what matters right now is that Foley's become a major player in the SPAC space. He's got two that have already announced deals: Foley, Trazamine 2, which trades under BFT, about to close on its acquisition of Paysafe, a gambling oriented payments platform, then the original Foley Trasamine, which trades under WPF, which is buying a light Solutions. That's a cloud-based enterprise software play. Now, in the last couple of months, both stocks have been pulled back substantially, so this could be the moment. Let's go straight to the source with Bill Foley, the founder and chairman of both these facts. Mr. Foley, it is an honor to have you on Mad Money.
1: Actually, it's, uh, it's it's my honor to be here, Jim. Thank you very much.
0: Bill, there is something about Paysafe That Now that I've studied it, okay, and I admit that I hadn't, that may be the ultimate stock for this moment, whether it be with the crypto wallet, whether it be the connection with DraftKings, whether it be Google Pay, Ritchie Brothers. I mean, you have, in one company, captured exactly the future. How did you put this together?
1: Well, you know, we did a search uh, when we uh, we launched Trasmine One and Trasmine and then Trasmine Two. We basically uh, searched and went through about 300 different companies. Uh, identified roughly 10 to 15 that we were really interested in, uh, and uh, Paysafe was right at the top of the list. Paysafe and the Light were my top two, top two choices and fortunately I had some, uh, had some good friends at Blackstone and we were able to negotiate transactions on both uh, both companies with uh, different fellows at Blackstone, um, Martin Brand in one case Peter Wallace in the other. Uh, but it was really a detailed search. To find these companies, and we want companies that had some size because the the Trez, the Trez main specs are are both about uh, a billion and a half in size, and in terms of capital that they could deploy. Uh, and we're uh, we're thrilled with both companies, frankly. And Paysafe, in particular, is is ubiquitous. It's just a it's just everywhere in terms of the gaming world and digital wallets, e cash solutions. Uh, so I'm. And, we're, and we actually go public tomorrow as uh, we start trading on Treating on the New York Stock
0: Exchange. Yeah, that's one of the reasons like, I do not mean to slight Alight, excuse me for the poetry, because Alight is a company that has much, really has margins that could expand to where automatic data is and paychecks, and people are familiar with both those companies from our show. And it also got a federal federal thrift savings plan contract, which shows you your best in show. That was a huge win. But we've got to talk about your your new point. You have this uh, net teller, uh, which is an, um, Skills, and now you've got a partnership with Coinbase. You've got the world, Bill. It's the world. Well, we have a we have a real
1: opportunity with Paysafe in terms of the launching of North American gaming and being right at the heart of it. And we're we're already working hard on a couple of different partnerships and acquisitions that uh, will really establish as the preeminent uh, iGaming leader in North America. So I'm I'm excited about Paysafe. It's uh, it's a it's a really a great company.
0: Well, I mean, I look at it. I I don't want people to, to get to get it lost in these different specs. This is an extremely profitable company, Bill. I mean, usually profitable.
1: It is. You know, this, the the companies we look for in our specs, we want real companies with real revenues, real EBITDA that are some sort of a platform that we can then expand and uh, engage in M and A transactions and really grow the business. And I have. Uh, uh, I have, um, I'm going to make high demands on Paysafe's management team to grow that business uh, really aggressively and expand margins. Uh, uh, so, uh, I'm, I'm, as, as you can tell, I'm very excited about Paysafe. Well,
0: you should uh, be. I mean, we have profiled a bunch of your, we love DraftKings, have loved it since it came public. You have Roblox, you have Fortnite, you have Twitch, Electronic Arts. I mean, you own more wallets, is it fair to say, than anyone in the world?
1: Um correct. Yes, that's true. We're we're primarily international in terms of our in terms of our Skrill wallet. We're just starting to expand domestically. But we have some ideas about how to penetrate the USI gaming market in terms of getting involved with the brick and mortar businesses and going to going to cashless in the in casinos. And we're pretty far along with a couple of different ideas that we've been working on concurrently with taking pay public.
0: It's very clear that one of the things you want to do, you like, you're not a big fan of leverage. You're trying to get leverage down as soon as possible.
1: Absolutely, absolutely. Our goal is, in the Paysafe's case, we're taking it down to 3.5 to one, and in Lights' case, down to three to one, and that gives us the opportunity then to lever back up to say four to one, uh, borrow a bit more money, make some significant acquisitions, and as a public company with both Paysafe and the Light and the other ones we're working on. We've got public company stocked and, and they're not they're large floats you know paysafe is a, we took it out at nine billion it's trading for a good deal more than that right now and a light was about a 7.3 billion dollar transaction and we're in front of the SEC now with our second round of comments. So we like size and we like as I said real companies we also bring something else to the party and that is capital so right in, the, in case and you mentioned it, In the case of potential redemptions, uh, you know, we have capital and to step in and support the acquisition that we're making. And a lot of these SPACs really don't have, the sponsor doesn't have the capital. They
0: do. They Uh, do. That's it. Well, Bill, a big difference. well, look, I've got to tell you, it is it is just fabulous. that came on the show. These are two great deals. I've studied these deals all weekend. I keep thinking the public are finally going to be treated with two that I think are terrific. That's Bill Foley, founder and chairman of Foley Trasmin. And I've got to tell you, Paysafe. I, I don't know. I mean, if I had to buy one of these packs, it would be Paysafe. Man, money's back after the break. Just chill out. Is this Chill Master J? The Chill Man is in the house. He's happy. The lightning round is
2: coming up when Mad Money returns.
0: It is time! One 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 one. And then the lightning round is over. Are you ready, Ski? Dang, time for the lightning round, question. Let's go to Cowan, New Jersey. Cowan!
2: Hi, Jim. Thank you for taking my call. quite welcome. Thank you for sharing your review, financial, acumen, and experience Uh, in such an enjoyable format.
0: Much appreciated. Thank you. Great team that allows me to do it. What's up?
2: My son and I love watching. Um, The company I'm calling about facilitates electronic signatures on documents. Should I sign or decline starting a new position in DocuSign? Okay, DocuSign's down gigantically
0: from its high, but it's regarded as being a work-from-home stock. And until we see another quarter, which shows that it's not a work from home stock, I think it can stay under pressure because that's how vicious this market really is. This is an ugly W market. Let's go to Harry in Missouri. Harry, Hey, Booyah, Jim. How are you? I am good. How about you? Good,
3: good. Thanks for everything you do. I'm a longtime watcher of the show and a big fan. Thank you. So my question today was, uh, you know, I had purchased SunPower
0: stock in February before it went downhill. Right. So my question is, you know, should I be
3: uh, buying it on the dip now or or should I just want to hold sun
0: power? The problem is, is that once again, that's another stock that's viewed as part of a pandemic play. And by the way, the regular utilities have now been up for seven straight days. Isn't that interesting? I'm not done. I'm going to Dan in Massachusetts. Dan, Jim, thank you very much for taking my call. You're welcome. You're welcome. Listen. I, I have a question about a stock, and I think you're the best guy to answer it. Thank you. Here's what it, here's what it is. I've, I've had Teladoc for three months now, and all it's been doing is it's been going downhill. Well, Teladoc, again, is it's regarded as a stay-at-home. It's how you, rather than go to the doctor's office, you Teladoc. Now, I believe it's better than that. I believe that there's upside here. But you have to understand, it's another stock that's cratered, and people are starting to accept the fact it won't come back. Let them sell it. And then you can buy more. Let's go to Richard in New York. Richard. Give me chill. Chill me in the house. What's up? Thank you. Hey, listen, as a longtime listener, I love the way you deliver the bottom line. Market new certainly helped me retire strong early. Oh, that's great. I give my credit all to you, sir. Thank you. Thank you kindly. I'm calling today about a stock OSCR that I got involved with early. Well, I don't know. That's a bomb. Uh, You know, it's a health insurance company that nobody wanted. It's a good example of what the syndicate should have pushed back. The syndicate desk should have said, you know what? We're not ready for this deal. Come back another time. But no, they all got to make their quarters. They all got to be so greedy. And the result is bulls make money. Bears make money. Pigs? Nothing. And that lays them the conclusion of the Lightning Round.
2: The Lightning Round is sponsored by TD Ameritrade. Coming up, when the market's gears grind your positions into red dust. Don't get mad, get Mad Money. Kramer shares the goods on how to persevere when the market feels rigged and bounce back with Mad Money next.
0: Thinking about this whole weekend, I don't blame anyone for looking at the carnage in Viacom, Discovery, 10 Tencent, Baidu last week, and concluding the whole market's rigged, and that's just a few of them. Uh, it, it, it's not true that it's rigged, though. It's not. It, it is hard to imagine how one family office, some alpha called uh, Archigos. It could bring down these huge stocks with a margin call. No one ever heard of Archegos. I had to, like, Google Archegos, and I still don't know what Archegos is. But it is true. One hedge fund was allowed to borrow an outlandish amount of money from so many different firms, in some cases well more than allowed, that when one of its positions collapsed, Viacom, the whole house of cards came tumbling down. When the banks realized that Archegos couldn't pay back its margin loans, they repossessed the fund stocks, quickly sold them to limit their downside, at least some of them. Some of them were much better at risk control than others. Uh, Will Frost, really great analysis of it this afternoon. And that's why Viacom, Discovery, let's throw some more in. GSX, TechDue, Tencent, Baidu, and so many others got hammered, including some I'm sure that you own. There was so much leverage used here, we might not be done with the margin calls. Of course, if you weren't plugged into the situation, and almost nobody was, then these huge losses seem to come out of nowhere. I said on Friday morning, I said, holy cow, there's a huge seller of 10 cent. Maybe there's something going on. No, no, it was this hedge fund. Uh, But that doesn't mean that the market's rigged. It's because some banks and one foolish hedge fund had a problem with risk controls. I bring this up because the Archegos debacle is in many ways a microcosm of what's happening to so many growth stocks in the last couple of months. These growth names were often owned by younger investors who borrowed lots of money to play the hot stocks. Or maybe they did it with options. They think Unity and DoorDash, Twilio, Zoom, all great companies that just got smashed by the great reopening rotation. Most money managers rang the register and took their funds elsewhere. In other words, the graybeards, the suits, the boomers, whatever you call them. Uh, and if you stuck around, you got crushed. And if you were playing with borrowed money or risky call options, oh, my God, you, you you got obliterated. The Archegos fiasco is the mirror image of the GameStop short squeeze. How did a so-so video game retailer see its stock catapult to 400? Well, as the stock started to rise, the hedge funds that were betting against it couldn't put up more collateral, so the brokers forcibly closed out their short positions. Mirror image, you do that by buying the stock at any price. But once the short sellers were out of the picture, GameStop's stock plunged hard, although it's still well above where it was when the short squeeze started, so it's been a win for people. Now, there are all kinds of these weird situations that can produce wild moves. That does not mean that the market's rigged people. I keep popping on this because once you're convinced the market is a sham, you're going to put your statements in a drawer and just say the heck with it. You know what? I'll look at my holdings when these stocks come back. And that's the mindset. That's a loser attitude, people. Positions forgotten are positions that rarely come back. You can't just pretend your losses aren't happening just because you haven't taken them. It's something many newer investors tried to do during the dot com collapse in 2001, caused a whole generation to give up on the stock market. Literally, 20 years, 20 years they stepped away. I don't want you to make that mistake. I want you to stay focused, look for opportunity and recognize that the business isn't rigged, even if it's sometimes real crazy. Now, there is one upside to this Archegos debacle. I think it will hasten our movement through the five stages of sell-off grief. We were at stage, remember I told you last week we were at depression? Okay. Well, now I'm betting that this one puts us at stage five, which is, yes, acceptance. Unfortunately, sometimes acceptance means giving up on the entire asset class, and I'm trying to urge you not to do that. That is if you're still watching. But if you're not watching, how would you know that I just did this? Now, I think the acceptance stage is a mistake. I, 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 putting the, the, you giving up is a mistake. I spent the last couple of months warning you to trim your growth stocks. I didn't want you to blow them out, but trim them, because they don't work when the economy is accelerating. And that's exactly what we've got with the great reopening and all these vaccinations. If you refuse to ring the register on some of your unrealized gains and got blown out by the rotation, it's not some vast conspiracy against you. None dare call this a conspiracy. It's just what happens when you don't take profits while you have them. And people are so angry at me. I say, oh, you ring the register. Ring the register. I was just trying to protect you. If you only got into stocks last year, I know this is hard to process. We had an exceptional period where just about everything went higher. We even started calling them, instead of calling them stocks, we started calling them stocks. I guess that meant that they go up or something. But now we see how incredibly easy it is to make money. And I am being facetious. I know exactly what it means. But now we're back to normal. And in normal, guess what happens? Stocks go down. For those of you who haven't so already sold some of those high-growth tech stocks, I'm begging you to bite the bullet on the next counter-trend rally. It is not too late. Better to take a loss, right, and start over than give up on the entire asset class. I like to say there's always a bull market somewhere. I promise, try to find it just for you, right here on Mad Money. I'm Jim Cramer.
3: See you tomorrow. The news with Shepard Smith starts now.